Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. And we're into extra time! Hello and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Barry Guy. Israel Adesanya successfully retained his UFC world middleweight title with a second round technical knockout of Brazilian Paulo Costa last weekend. The result probably has him well placed to again be named New Zealand Sportsman of the Year. But is it a sport we should be promoting? And a little bit of positive promotion is probably something New Zealand rugby is after at the moment as the rugby championship saga drags on for another week. And Super Rugby took a hit with South Africa saying they now want their clubs to play in Europe. Will they be missed? I'm joined by correspondent Hamish Bidwell, Ashley Stanley from Locker Room, our rugby reporter Joe Porter and Dr Vanessa Weenink. UFC boss Dana White said New Zealand's Israel Adesanya has proved he is set to be MMA's next big superstar after that win last weekend. Hamish, do you agree? Is he going to be seen as a superstar here? Oh, look, I got a call on Tuesday to say, can you come on the show? This is what we're going to talk about. And I thought, OK, I'll get prepared. I'll be a good person and I'll start reading about UFC. I don't watch it. I don't care for it. I don't read about it. And I looked at some headlines and I didn't get any further than that. I just find it such low rent garbage. And um, I know that, that people like it and that's good luck to them. But I don't like it. I don't care for it. I don't like the posturing and the buffoonery that, quote unquote, is part of the theatre of fight sports like boxing and and UFC I just think it's nonsense I think it's just so low rent like I say as for the violence I don't care for that either and you can call me a sucker or wowser but I don't watch violent films I don't care for simulated violence I don't care for people being stabbed or shot on movies Um, like Ben Stokes for instance the cricketer from England a couple of years ago king hit someone outside a bar in Bristol I never watched the video of that I don't like seeing people being hurt I don't like seeing people being king hit I don't like them being knocked out I find it really difficult to look at and I don't want to see it and so while I'm aware of the popularity of, of UFC and I'm aware of uh, Adesanya's ascension in that sport, it's not something that I care for. And while I tried to be professional and, and have a view on it, an educated view on it, I just can't. I just find it utterly distasteful all round. When I saw the email to see what it was going to be about it, to be honest, I was like, really? We, we haven't even got to a week and we're already now framing it in a way to say that this is a blood sport. And, you know, we haven't even praised or celebrated Israel Adesanya and the three other fighters their achievements of what they've been able to accomplish. And it's, they only won it on Sunday. Went back to back. I mean, the athleticism and skill that is needed to be able to do a sport, combat sport, and MMA especially, is ridiculous. And I found it really surprising, but not surprising about it. So completely different opinion to Hamish. And to be honest, I quite enjoyed it. Like, we paid for it. I watched all four New Zealand fighters, um, and it was awesome. Um, it may be a new generational thing, but I mean, I can't even say that I'm a young generation at the moment. So completely different uh, opinion and really, really thankful actually what they're actually doing um, at City Kickboxing because Israel Ersonia alone has a bigger following than all of our top sporting codes combined. So I don't know, you've got to probably give credit where credit's due sometimes. As an older journalist, I have a problem watching this also in just that it's 
a free-for-all. You know, there's no rules and it just doesn't appear to have, you know, regulations in the octagon, as they call it. And so I have an issue with it also. You know, what I was looking at for this week was just the problems that may be associated with the sport and also perhaps um, how young people, teenagers um, or even younger how they perceive it. I remember when I was a kid at school and it was WWF, you know, on the mat, and we were doing that at school ourselves and kids got injured because we were just sort of replicating what we'd seen on TV. So I, I had a bit of an issue with that as to, you know, Ash, what do you think of nine, 10-year-olds now perhaps wanting to be UFC fighters and, and what that may, um, it may mean for them? Uh, as a parent, I have no problem with it uh, uh leading in like children like i think this whole scaremongering around it's a brutal sport and you know people are just fighting it's not like you're fighting outside a club these athletes are highly trained elite athletes that this is their job they're, they're they're investing in their bodies and their minds to be able to compete at this kind of level in these sports so if my 19 year old kid when eventually you get to that age or even my five six seven year old kid wants to come over and and say that he wants to get in and try MMA, any kind of sort of um, combat sport, then I will back him because I, I hype my kids and um, want to encourage them to try and do whatever they feel like they need to do. But at the end of the day, it's about preparation. And it's not like these kids will come in and be like, oh, I want to do this and I want to fight just because they've decided randomly. I'm sure they would have had a thought process to win it. And if you get into a ring and you, and you show the kind of discipline that these sports actually take, and that's what underpinning all of these kind of MMA sports is, that is a discipline um, kind of attitude, I'm all, for, I'm all for it. I'm not going to be limiting uh, my kids in whatever the avenues they want to be able to choose. I, I agree, you know, with uh, some of the martial arts, the discipline that's uh, involved there, Having done a little bit of myself as I was, when I was younger, I can totally agree with you there. I'd like to bring in Dr. Vanessa Wienink here. Uh, Vanessa is a GP in Christchurch, also chair of the New Zealand Medical Association's General Practitioner Council. Vanessa, as a medical professional, what concerns do you have about uh, the sport and others, obviously, and the global attention that it's now getting? Thanks, Barry. Well, these kind of violent sports, the main issue is that they, um, they do tend to to lead to knockouts as one of the main forms of completion, if you like. And so that knockout can actually be uh, an actual knockout where people are, if you like, KO'd and they lose consciousness. That's a direct injury or a technical knockout or, you know, all those kind of things. 80% of them, I think I was reading, will end that way. And so if you look at all of those head injuries, they accumulate over time and there is a, a condition called chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy that over time leads to quite measurable differences in people's brain functioning. So that means that they don't have as good a memory and they can't process things as well and over time may lead to a form of dementia. And you can see it actually, there's visible changes on scanning of their brain size. So there's, there's real physical harm that's done here. There's also all of those kind of background societal things that you kind of alluded to with children and violence and that kind of thing. And encouraging these sorts of violent sports, it doesn't sit well with us, I suppose you could say, encouraging violence and, and all that sort of thing. On the other side of it, yeah, I hear what Ash is saying about people learning discipline and 
also, you know, it's a good, amazing athleticism. That's one thing that is to be admired. But there's lots of ways of being quite athletic. So, um, yeah, if we look at all the ways that people can do that and all the options, having these kind of violent sports doesn't really add anything other than it gets to that base level. Like Hamish was saying, he finds it quite distasteful. And I personally, I can't watch them. When I was in the army, I one of the worst things for me was always when the battalion had their boxing rounds. And uh, battalion boxing, even the practice of it, there was so many injuries. And, you know, they're obviously amateurs, but they're also trained to be able to fight. And it unleashes this kind of animalistic violence that I wouldn't have always seen in my colleagues. And so I really didn't like the live being in, on the ringside watching boxing or any form of violence like that. So from the Medical Association's position back in, I think it was 2018, the World Medical Association called for a ban on, essentially on boxing and all kinds of head-targeted um, violent sports. We'll just go on to, uh, while we've got you though, we're going to be talking about rugby shortly, but uh, New Zealand rugby, world rugby in recent years have emphasised the uh, the concussion protocols and those sorts of things. Have you had any feedback, seen any uh, reports and, or anything about how, if anything, has changed within rugby or the, or the football type um, things in recent years? Yeah, well, that's been quite noticeable. And, you know, even the kids um, with their, their blue cards, and they're all quite knowledgeable about what they need to do, which is really uh, well done. The other thing that's good about this is that they've joined in with Otago University and doing ongoing sort of studies into the long-term effects and uh, ways of prevention. And um, I think the thing with any of these kind of sports is that people are going to get into them. The important thing is that they do that in a way that is um, well-informed so that they know what the risks are and know how to recover and how to reduce those risks. So as much as I wouldn't like any of those violent sports, and, you know, of course, it would be perfect for me if they were, um, and for the doctors, if they were all banned, we know that's not going to happen. So in the absence of the ability to do that, people doing it in a way that is safer is much more preferable and I, when I was doing some background reading on USC I saw that they did actually change their rules back in about 1993 so it actually became so there are actually some rules not very many but yeah, they did make some changes and that reduced some of the rates of injuries but the rates of injuries are still extremely high Is yeah. there a difference though like within rugby everybody knows like CTE eventually even rugby players uh, are going to be able to be affected with their what is it traumatic brain injuries is that just because are you saying like there are rules and regulations in the USC I mean you have to do CTI scans beforehand and afterwards they've got ringside um, assistance you have to do a check after the ring and I know this because my brother was one of the surgeons at Auckland when they had USC here so is there a difference though like when we talk about rugby we always like oh it's okay eventually but we know the rugby players themselves and everyone going into rugby know that they run risk even though they don't have every sport has that they run a risk with head head injuries but we seem to be okay as a nation to uh, glorify or be accepting of that but when it comes to other sports like USC that potentially maybe the issue is around that kind of we haven't grown up with it so it's kind of brutal and we don't actually think that it's any good and anyone can do it. 
the people that are going into the rings to do that as well, they clearly understand the risks that they're doing as well. And it probably won't show up till long term in their life. But does that mean that we are supporting one sport over another in terms of head injury? Uh, well, that's a good question. I think it, maybe it comes down to um, the rates and, if you like, the epidemiology of the sport injuries. When it comes to rugby, I can't remember the exact rates, but it is quite a bit lower than the rates for um, USC. So um, if you're just looking at the injury rate alone, there's quite a, a difference, and it's not necessarily a bias. It's just saying, look, there's a difference in the rate of injuries. And we haven't actually got any published data on New Zealand UFC injury rates from Maybe there's only one overseas. Study the whole year. Mm. Yeah, and so you're looking at um, over the last kind of um, 15 years of injury rates looking in America where they've got reasonably good studies on that. There's more than 50% of the athletes during a competition will get injured, um, and that's not necessarily head injury, all kinds of injuries, but you know, 50% of those injuries are going to be head injuries. So there's quite a high, that's a high rate. And so there's also the injuries during um, training. And interestingly, in some of the disciplines, the injury rates are actually higher during training than they are um, during competitions. But for USC overall, it looks like it's the competitions that do have high injuries. So, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. It's like, is this a bias because everyone knows rugby and is this a kind of um, leaning towards rugby? And I don't know, potentially, but I think that's a, a good question to ask because it's good to have an open mind about these things and to be um, you know, willing to challenge our assumptions. But overall, um, all of these kind of things, if, if you understand the risks, that's one part of it. But do you really understand the risks? And it's all very well to say, oh, they've been told. But do people really know that a, a reduction in their brain functioning means that they won't be able to get as good jobs? It means that um, when they're in their 60s or 70s and starting to develop this dementia, that they're going to require, potentially require other people to look after them and care. You know, I don't think people really think about those kind of risks. And I certainly wouldn't let my son do UFC fighting or anything like that, but, or any of my children. I wouldn't even let him play rugby. That's the other thing, but anyway. <laughs> Dr. Vanessa Weening, thank you very much for your time. Well, Christmas in quarantine for the All Blacks remains on the cards. Rugby Australia is standing firm, and so is New Zealand rugby. South Africa may not get to the rugby championship at all, while... There were claims that New Zealand rugby knew about the duration of the tournament and what it would mean, but now they deny that. Our rugby reporter, Joe Porter, uh, uh, where are we going to now? What's the what's the latest? It seems to be changing or, you know, uh, people are talking about this, that and the other thing day to day. When will we know something? Well, Brent Impey was on Morning Report this morning and he said two weeks. Two weeks is the maximum amount of time that this can rumble on before they come to a final decision on whether or not they go to the rugby championship, how long they are over in Australia for and whether or not some players decide they don't want to go because they may have to be in quarantine over Christmas. So look, we're not much further forward than we were yesterday. New Zealand rugby still denying claims um, that uh, they knew about and agreed to the dates, the end date being December the 12th rather than December the 5th, which is when New Zealand rugby want this rugby championship to finish or want their last game to be so that they can get home in time to get the All Blacks back to their families and out of quarantine by Christmas. So yeah, Rugby Australia and Sansa saying uh, actually New Zealand rugby did know about this. New Zealand rugby saying no, we didn't know about it. We knew that it was a possibility, but we never agreed to the schedule. Um, it, you know, it's, a, it's a he said, she said thing, but let, New Zealand rugby, whether or not they knew about it 
uh, in advance. They did know about it before the statement was made, before the official statement came out. So they weren't completely blindsided by it, but they may have been surprised by it. Now, we know they don't agree to the schedule. Now we look to the solutions because no one appears to be moving anywhere. Now, I don't think Australia are going to, to budge much. I think the very most the All Blacks can hope for is that that doubleheader test, the final bled is low against the Wallabies, the doubleheader with the, the box and RGs on that last weekend, December the 12th, gets pushed forward to a midweek game. So the All Blacks hoping to play the Wallabies possibly on Wednesday in Sydney. That would get them home in time to get out of quarantine by Christmas. That looks like the most likely option. I can't see uh, them moving the tournament dates around anymore. South Africa and Argentina don't want that, nor do Rugby Australia. Uh, I can't see the All Blacks boycotting the final test because, of course, that opens them up legally to a whole bunch of liability when it comes to the financial losses that will be made if they don't play that game in terms of broadcast revenue and ticket sales. So I think, really, the only realistic option on their cards is hoping for a bit of Australian goodwill. They move that final test forward to the Wednesday rather than the Saturday. And if there is a financial hit because of it, there likely will be because it's no longer a double header and it's no longer on the weekend. New Zealand rugby may have to stump up for some of those costs if Aussie rugby decide that they don't want to bear them themselves. So I think that's probably the only realistic option. And as far as the players boycotting it, I don't think that will happen. Yeah, I just think they just look like jerks. Do you know what I mean? Like they do. Income. They really do. They look just like over yeah. and over again. Like I don't care about who's in Super Rugby. I don't care about the Rugby Championship. I'd be perfectly honest. I've watched a couple of games this year. I retain a professional interest. I don't care for rugby. I don't watch the games. I'm not interested in any of it. Partly because of all this posturing, all this talk, just really turns me off. I think the bottom line here is that New Zealand rugby are utterly inept. I think at every turn for the past 12 months, they've just made bad decision after bad decision. And they're always thumping their chest and, and telling us what we have to understand and how much they know and what they, you know, we, if we're all ignorant fools and they'll tell us what's right for us. And actually, they can't do anything well. They're not doing it. There's not, nothing competent about any of the things that they're up to at the moment. And they're never taking any responsibility for any of the things that occur. Do you know what I mean? I'll, let's, I'll just I'll isolate one thing. So back in January, February, talk that South Africa were leaving Sanzar was, was rife. And Mark Robinson and Brent Impey told them we're all buffoons and uh, there's no way Sanzar will break up. You can all just crawl back into your little holes, you halfwits. And that's cool in the gang, right? Oh, that they're entitled to say that, but actually they're wrong. And you can dress it up as COVID if you like, but the Africans were always going and we always knew it and they always told us we were idiots. And yet it's occurring. Do you know what I mean? I just... I'm just really tired of hearing from these people. I want them to take some responsibility. I want them to make some decent decisions. And I want them to stop whinging, whether it's the players or the administrators. they just always hard done by. Some of us aren't on the kind of wickets that these people are on, not even close. And there's no gratitude for it. There's no acceptance of the privilege that they, that they, they have. It's just always telling us how hard they, we've, they've got it, what fools we are, and how much we just need to trust them because they know best. Well, actually... Evidence of the last 12 months is whether it's picking a coach, finding competition, getting people to play, telling nations that they, they don't care for them. They've just never made the right decision, and I'm really tired of hearing about them. And they all, New Zealand rugby as well, are very keen to play hardball when they think they're in the position of power. We know for a fact that when Australia were going to come over here for the rugby championship and the rugby championship was going to be hosted in New Zealand, Australia asked for a condensed five-week competition so their players could get home in time to avoid quarantine and Christmas. Of course, now that and New Zealand rugby refused, steadfastly refused, said, no, we want a six-week competition for commercial reasons. Of course, now the shoe's on the other foot. 
Australia are simply saying, well, we're doing to you what you did to us. Flip you the bird straight back. So now that New Zealand rugby don't have any power, they're finding out just what it's like to be treated poorly by their neighbours. And I think you're right. They've been inept for the last 12 months. They continue to trip and stumble from sort of one era to another, trying to blame other people and obfuscate and all the rest of it without giving on any transparency or any real answers or taking any real accountability. And I can imagine this rumbles on for another few weeks at least before they realise that they have to back down, except the fact they're going to be playing on December the 12th and send their all backs over there. Do you think I'm just going to throw in there? Is it just because, it's, I know, Kamish, you said it's not COVID, but could it be that just a little bit desperate, like really trying to hold on to rugby and what it means to this nation? Maybe that's blurring some of the decision-making, but also, I mean, we're living at a time that's not normal. So maybe this always was happening, like you said, but it's just come to the surface now. I personally like Hamish where I'm just like, oh, it's happening again. Like, I'm more interested, like, can't you put in uh, the headlines more around, like, the NRLW starting or Blackbirds or SBC? Like, <laughs> I, I hope whoever, whatever happens, that the players can come home for Christmas. But sometimes... Sometimes the decisions are just out of your hand. In New Zealand rugby really shouldn't be crying foul here. This is simply pigeons mm. or chickens or whatever birds that is coming home to roost. It really is. I don't have a lot of work on at the moment. I don't know how I'm going to pay for Christmas, but I know the All Blacks are going to all be able to pay for their lavish Christmases. They may have to celebrate on the 27th or the 28th, but they'll all be good as gold. They're only <laughs> such a good workout, and they would expect the rest of us to cry a river for them and wring our hands about, oh, you know, how many Christmases have I been rostered on for work? Heaps. We probably all have. Do you know what I mean? That's just part and parcel Certainly. of covering sport for a living. There's Boxing Day tests. You're off to work. Hey, you know Luke, what I mean? Like, that's, that's just how it works. Player? You could have been a rugby player. Are we really going to slog them for the amount of money that they make? Like, that's, 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 that's their chosen sport. That's their chosen careers. We're yes, but they still complain careers. about it. They're never satisfied with what they've got. They're so tone deaf. Like, no one... People will not resent them the money if they take it with good grace. But when they complain that the games are too hard, there's too many of them, or they want a sabbatical or a rest, or they want to be home for Christmas, well, that's sometimes that's too bad. With, with that money comes a certain amount of responsibility and accountability. And unless they take that, people will resent the money. Good luck to you all. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Dr Vanessa Wienink. Ash Stanley from Locker Room, Hamish Bidwell and Joe Porter. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and, of course, at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Barry Guy. Mihi more NANA. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.